Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, Associate Editor at The Tracking Board, and with me as always are... I'm Hai Chen Bui, a pop culture journalist in the D.C. area. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Alright, so today we are going to be talking about the man, the legend, the sometimes maligned, Joss Whedon. Um, he is well known for being the showrunner behind Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series, as well as Firefly and the creator for Dr. Horrible Sing-Along Blog. But he's most well known for being the director for Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. So he is quite a figure in the TV and sci-fi genre community because he rose up from kind of a, a small writing role amongst like like writing for Toy Story, sometimes Roseanne. Um, he was like a bit writer, honestly. And then he became one of the most well-known TV showrunners and writers. Um, he has a very distinct style that some people really like him for, but also a lot of people aren't really warm to. Um, so here we're here to talk about Joss Whedon, which is, who is a showrunner we all really love or sometimes don't well, really love so much. Yeah, you know, he... Some more than others in this group. He, is a, he is a divisive character, to say the least. Um, Do you want to know what's funny? What's funny? When we were talking about, like, things to talk about with him, I completely forgot about both Avengers movies. Oh, like, like, no. I was like, oh, what are we going to talk about? Like, oh, Buffy, Firefly, Dr. Horrible. I was like, much ado about nothing. <laughs> but I literally completely, like, blanked on the Avengers movie. The, the two movies that made him over a billion dollars each. Whoops. He is more well-known. Right. We'll and, get there. <laughs> he is more well-known and beloved as a TV writer slash showrunner. And I think that's he, he's more in his element there. Um, I did, like, the first Avengers, but I know, like, I had a lot of problems with Avengers Age of Ultron, as did many people. Um, But we are going to be breaking down his style and his legacy by... um, Willoughby, can you tell us again? So I was just thinking by his writing style, his directing style, which you can clearly tell that they're intrinsically locked with each other, but he he thinks of himself as a writer. Um, He's directed a bunch. Uh, we're also, we're also going to break down like his overarching themes and his characters. He has a lot of like ca- character archetypes that he kind of goes back to a lot, which is always great when you get to develop them. But sometimes they can be a little bit like Limiting. front store, front store characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we get down to it, guys? Let's do it. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about his writing first because I think that's what he's well most well known for as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Joss Whedon's writing style. If you didn't notice, if I, um, I've often mentioned Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is one of Do my... Do you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah, you know, I had like, no idea. It's okay, you know, it's like, it's alright. I don't I don't watch it every month, sometimes when I'm feeling <laughs> sad and just want to no, watch No rewatches every week? Yeah, you know. just like with the glass of wine, rewatching my favorite episodes, you know. Um, <laughs> he has a very distinct Buffy style. Uh, writing style that he kind of perfected in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you can see it kind of getting a little out of control in his later works, but um, it's very tongue-in-cheek, very self-aware and winking, kind of um, heavy on the puns and the snark, Uh, and uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, despite 
what it sounds like was kind of perfect for that because it was like this very um, metaphorical sort of coming of age story um, that kind of winked at its horror movie genre roots. Um, you know, like the blonde girl who gets chased down an alley and gets killed first in the opening credits of the horror film. And then, so in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she is that girl, but she, at the end of the alley, will turn around and kick that monster's butt. So it's kind of like that kind of fun um, subversion in that you can see in his writing style. I, 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 like just, I just something. remembered... I just remembered that he wrote Cabin in the Woods, and I was like, oh my yeah, god, there's something about, there's something by Joss Whedon that I actually unabashedly love and don't have any criticisms against. There you go. Because I, yeah, I'm probably the least Joss Whedon fan out of the three of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except for Cabin in the Woods, which I think, you brought up the horror tropes, and I think that that movie brilliantly subverts them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he um, wrote that with Drew Goddard, right? Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah. Didn't Drew Goddard also direct? Drew Goddard directed it, and he yeah, and Joss Whedon co-wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, um, but we were mentioned, talking about this before the episode, but, like, I think what you love about Joss Whedon HT is what I love about Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the faults you have with Aaron Sorkin are the ones that I can kind of, like, grudgingly accept. And, like, I have those same faults about Joss Whedon that I can't really get over. It's really funny how we're kind of, like... I know, yeah. It's weird we're two sides of the same coin. I'm more they of a are somewhat, person. Yeah, there are somewhat similar writers in that they kind of, they're writers, directors, and they kind of get in on their own heads and how much, like, they like a line and, like, they just will run with that line despite how much it can break the world or break the story. Um, they, they're writers first. And they're I think writers they're first, yeah. Statistical writer. Mm-hmm. They are, oh, and definitely. I, I think sometimes their their own voice can be a detriment to their characters that yeah. they, that when you, like... He has a very distinct, like like you said, like his witticisms and snark is very pungent when it comes to his writing. Like you can tell, like when a script is written by Joss Whedon, and sometimes that gets in the way of characters. Um, I think Anya, most notably, you hate Steve Rogers in the Avengers, or you hate his characterization of Steve Rogers. Yeah, I for me, like I understand that criticism, but I am more willing to accept it because I feel like. Joss Whedon gets the broader character. Maybe he may not get the most like small character moments with those because sometimes he gets a little bit in over his head with how much he likes the line. But I feel like yes. he does understand characters and he likes those characters and will be willing to like write for them, if not specifically. Write well, his them. Tony Stark, his Tony Stark is full of Tony Snark. Oh, like <laughs> yeah, Tony is perfect off. for Joss Whedon. Yeah, like they, they, they those are a match made in heaven. Um, Whereas you get characters like Thor and uh, Captain America, and there may be not too much what he should be writing towards. Yeah, I, uh, the first Avengers film is fun. Age of Ultron is terrible. But I think I think the first Avengers also has writing problems. Not just character, but I think there are weird plot problems in the first Avengers as well. Like, I know everyone loves the whole, like, that's my secret cap, I'm always angry yeah, by that's... Bruce. But, like, that line makes literally no sense. It does. Actually, Anya, no, have you listened to the most recent... No, I, I'm like, I agree, it, does. it doesn't at all. But have you listened to the most recent Story Wonk episode where they talked about Avengers and they both hated that line as well? Yeah, well, that's my problem is because it makes no sense. Because, like, don't you get a Cap? I'm always angry. Implies that, like, he's always angry he can control it. Except we saw 20 minutes earlier that he can't control it. And then we see in later films that he still can't control it. Yeah, it makes so no sense. So that line makes no sense. And yeah. But it was such a Joss Whedon line where he was like, it's so funny and witty. 
And I think that's kind of my thing with Joss is that like his wittiness, I, his wittiness is very different than Aaron Sorkin's, which I think is why I like Sorkin more. Yeah, but like I think Sorkin's is more dry. I feel like. Yeah, yeah and I don't even like Joss. All, all of his wittiness in his own, like Avengers is one thing because like they're not his characters, right? But I feel like even in his own stuff where he's created the characters, it's sometimes way too much for me. Like, I know how much you love Buffy, and I also grew up watching it, but going back to it now, I'm sometimes a little just... It's not funny for me. It's almost a little cringy mm-hmm. to me now. Um, so I don't know. I Joss is a little just too much for me, I think. I understand that, but I feel like it's just so much Joss's world that I can just kind of buy the entire, like, Joss speak of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it works yeah. mostly in, like, Buffy, for example, like which, which is entirely his creation and his baby and something that, like, sprung from the mind of Whedon and, like, is most unique to him. So I feel like it works the I best with that. I think it works better Firefly yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's better. I mean, also, I'm also a much bigger Firefly it's, fan it's than more I am Buffy. I also, in Firefly too. That's true. Which is probably why I like it. It's also a different almost, style of speaking because it's mostly it's like trying to be neo western. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also wonder though if, if Firefly had gone on as long as Buffy, if I would still love it as much. Mm-hmm. Like Firefly, there's so little of it that I'm like, okay, cool. It's like short and constrained, and like there's so much of it. Whereas Buffy is seven seasons, and I almost wonder if Firefly had gone that long, if I would have gotten tired of it eventually so well i think it's funny you say that because we, we you know there were there's plenty of character development in the, that first season of firefly and i wonder if the same problems that we see joss kind of have to deal with like come to fruition if his characters if, if, if that show lasted longer where he had to deal with character development that he wasn't expecting or if he was like changes to the to like actors and stuff like I wonder if that kind of, like, these faults that you see, Anya, would actually arise. Yeah. So, I think, like, a lot of these criticisms are levied at his kind of humor, but I still think that Joss is really great with character development. And especially, and you can definitely see that in, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for example, or even in, like, the own, the... 13 episodes of Firefly, you see a great arc for all of the characters, even though they start in some of the um, archetypes that we know we didn't most well for. Um, and he is, like, he's great at writing all sorts of different characters, and, like, even, like, we, he has problems with characters that aren't his own, but in Buffy, for example, he doesn't have just, like, one type of snark-making character. Like, Buffy is different from Willow, is different from Xander, is different from Giles. And so I think that, like, he is a great character writer, um, more so than maybe, I don't know... Like a plot writer? A plot writer, a thematic writer, I guess I would say. I'd say, like, his strengths are in his characters and his understanding of them, and, like, how he brings those arcs to fruition, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, are you, what do you think of his characters, Willoughby? I I love all the characters that he's that he does. I love like I watched Buffy not too long ago, maybe three three years ago now, and like for the first time I ever I watched it, and I just remember being really like always wanting these characters just to be snarky with each other and never like I don't I, I didn't want the I wanted to protect them and not face the dangers of society and just you know like 
watch a t- watch TV and make co- snarky commentary about it. Like that's how I feel about all these characters. I feel like they could all like I just want to see them hang out, and I feel like that's what he he's he's got a great team bonding like uh, overarching theme with all his shows is that uh, he always has like some he he always does ensembles for the most part. And I feel like he's really great at that because they all, he's really good at bouncing off of all these characters and having them strengthen their relationship with each other or, or, you know, fret it if, 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 you know, if that works for the story. So like you get characters who may be best friends in the first season, but by the sixth season, they're complete strangers to each other. And I think that that's interesting and weird and cool that, you know, that he gets to do something like that with like Buffy or Angel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Probably like with everything with Whedon, I'm way more hit or miss with his characters. Mm-hmm. I think some of them are really. I think a lot of my biggest problem comes with him writing female characters because I think his. I think you can poke a lot of holes in his idea of feminist characters, um, and I have a lot of issues with the way he handles some female characters. I have a lot of issues with the way he writes River mm-hmm. in Firefly, for example. But I love Zoe. I think Zoe's one of the best characters. I think one of my favorite things about Joss Whedon is Zoe and Wash and, like, the fact that they're a reversal of the stereotypical gender norms, Mm -hmm. but they're both so comfortable and confident in who they are and their relationship with one another. And I think they're a beautiful example of what Joss Whedon can do well with characters, but he falls short with other characters. Also, not to, like be weirdly about myself but Anya and Buffy is I love her (laughs) Anya and Buffy is so great Anya and Buffy is a hilarious character but I actually have a criticism about Anya and Buffy is that she's a comedy mule and will often she yes yeah and will often be about the joke over her own characterization but Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about River because she is kind of the embodiment of a most all of the criticisms lobbied against Joss Whedon and is that he tends to create female characters in like many of his shows or many of his movies that are like the powered waif so like she is vulnerable and she is um beautiful and usually brunette and skinny Mm -hmm. and but she has like some sort of hidden power but at the same time she can always use that power because and so like leaving her to be protected by everyone else so a lot of people uh criticize whedon for this because they're like this is an disempowered individual and this is not an idea of what a strong female character should be but i i would like to defend whedon on like his frequent use of this archetype because I don't think that it's as flat as everyone makes it out to be. So River is like the purest example of this. But at the same time, she doesn't stay that waifish, you know, guarded female the entire time. She has her own arc and, you know, at the end, as it may as cliche as it may be, she ends up being the one protecting her brother. And I think that, like, like not to pull out Story Wonk again, but they actually mentioned this in their recent Angel um, episode. They talked about a lot of people kind of confusing vulnerability for weakness. And as someone who really enjoys different kinds of female characters, I like the strong ones who are powerful, both act physically and mentally. I also like the ones who are more vulnerable, and I don't think that makes them any weaker of a character. I think that, like, 
recently I've really become to love Sansa in Game of Thrones, for example, and she has been hated and derided for being everything that, like, Game of Thrones is not about. She's weak and she's, like, a little bit not that smart and she's compassionate, but she's still a strong character because she's multifaceted. And I think that a lot of Whedon's, like, waif characters are actually this way. Um, another example I would pull out of, like, this waif character um, would be... Well, I actually would think that Buffy is sort of an inversion of this because she's a little bit more, like, mentally there. Willby, can you think of any ideas? Um, one comes to mind, and t- tell me if you agree, the, the Eliza Juscu's character from Dollhouse. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's co- sort of playing into, like, his entire... That show was, like, it was interesting. Dollhouse was, like, a really ambitious but kind of misguided premise to begin with but yeah like that was also just like another sort of example of it but again like she hasn't she starts off that way but maybe she but she doesn't stay that way right and i don't think like her entire characteristic is based on her being the powered waif so i will defend whedon for that because he though he may keep going back to this character all of his female characters aren't this way. And it goes to show that he does understand other type of characters. While he may prefer some other types than others, I don't think that's only his brand of feminism. And also, like, he... I don't know if Whedon always has to carry, like, the feminist flag. As a no, as one of, not. like, the older... Like, the showrunners who um, started, like, having, like, really strong female characters. Like, his... Buffy Vampire Slayer was one of the first TV shows on primetime TV that had a strong lead female character in its lead. And I think that because of that and because of, like, his the presence of female characters as leads in many of his shows, he's kind of been stuck with that label and, like, been branded as, like, the feminist. And, like, he's had that high altar to, like, kind of live up to. And I think that he doesn't deserve both the criticisms and the um, praises that come with that label. No, I agree. I don't, you know, I, no one is really kind of that one person i just feel like if you're going to be someone who wants to go there Mm -hmm. you need to walk the walk you can't just talk the talk um and while i appreciate his variety in female characters like yeah not everyone is like river but the fact that he writes river the way he does is my problem Mm -hmm. because i don't think how he writes river is very good um and i have a lot of issues with it and so I think, like, yeah, Zoe's great, Kaylee's great, and Ara's great, but, like, why can't River also be written well as a female I just don't think she's written well as a female character. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my problem with him. And, like, you see it also with Black Widow and Age of Ultron. Well, which... actually, Age of Ult- like, Black Widow and Age of Ultron, I see him more sticking her in the Buffy role versus putting no, her but... in the Wayfish role, because, like, he no, kind of no, gives her a lot of those characteristics. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I'm just saying, I think that's also just, like, him. You don't think like, she's written well in the age? No, in age, yeah. at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree that he doesn't do well with characters that aren't his own. And he tends to just kind of go back to the archetypes and characters that he knows, which are the ones that he's created. And again, like, mm-hmm. that goes back to his ego and that, like, he likes those characters and he can't let go of them. And, like, that's a criticism, but at the same time, I enjoy it. Like, it's like how you enjoy a Shane Black movie. It's always kind of the same story, the same thing going on, but and like a little bit over the top and ridiculous. But I buy it because it's Shane Black, or like I buy it because it's Joss Whedon. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think it, I think it literally just comes down to taste. Because mm-hmm. while I could do a Shane Black movie all the time, no matter how similar it is, I love his style so much that I always enjoy it. Whereas I don't like Joss Whedon's style very much, especially now that I've gotten older. So I don't always want to go there mm-hmm. the way I always do with Shane Black. <laughs> I think it's just a matter of taste. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand that, but also but I, I just want to Firefly. Yeah, I Firefly. Like, Firefly, great. I still have very close to my heart. Yeah. So and the Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, but I just want to like point that out to all those people who are like Joss Whedon <laughs> should apologize and who tried to drive Joss off of Twitter. By the way, welcome back to Twitter, Josh. Yeah. Joss. In fact, that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode was in light of Joss Whedon coming back to Twitter and doing the Save the Day Super Pack with all his superhero friends. Um, I thought this would be a, a, a great time to discuss the man, the myth, the legend. So agreed. Um, Let's move on to uh, the next. Talk about directing. Yes, because I feel like so he's directed three movies. No, four, including Serenity. Forgot about Serenity. Oh, um, Serenity. So he directed. He, he's directed Serenity. He's directed the two Avengers movies, and he directed Much Ado About Nothing, which he. Uh, uh, adapted and 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 directed and shot in 2012 like right, after, at his right house. after Avengers. yeah at his house right after avengers premiered like he was just like he just did it um or no it might have been like right after he wrapped production either way it was like at a moment where everyone was like joss whedon surprisingly did a shakespeare movie like what <laughs> i think it was pretty so, much a, a weekend party at his house and he's like let's shoot a movie pretty much it kind of was have you guys seen it I have. Yes, I, I really I liked mean, it. Oh, I think... God damn it. Why am I like this terrible negative person right now? <laughs> I'm just... I could be biased because the Kenneth Branagh version exists. And, and like, you are a Shakespeare fan, that. so... I am a Shakespeare fan. I'm like, Kenneth Branagh's my Shakespeare man. Mm-hmm. I think I, uh, I like... I think I, Ryan, like it, guys? I think I like it more, not for the Shakespeare aspect of it, but to see his, like stock characters or not his stock actors like his favorite actors come in and play these roles it's almost like watching your friends play like do a shakespeare play where it may not be the best version of it but it's because because it's your friends like you're you're really excited to see them like i was really excited to see clark Gregg like play the dad in in much ado about nothing or to see uh nathan fillion as like dogbert or something yeah yeah that's also Uh, my reason too because like i love whedon has a kind of a regular stock of actors who who come back to every one of his projects. Um, you can see, like, Amy Acker in several of his projects, Nathan Fillion, um, Alan Alexa Tudyk, Eliza Dushku, um, yeah, and, oh, yeah, I like Alex Denisoff, and mostly, I really love Amy Acker, so I was happy to see her in um, Much Ado About Nothing. I just want to see her in more things. She's so talented. And I, yeah. yeah, my experience for Much Ado was basically the same as Willoughby's. It was a quiet kind of subdued movie and just like not really much um yeah. going for it <laughs> but i just i love not all much the because it's there. much ado about nothing <laughs> but yeah i enjoyed it i'm also that. productive because that's like my favorite shakespeare comedy yeah it's one of so. my favorites too i in fact i played benedict um in high school oh. i i directed uh a production of much ado in high school nice See, I don't have as much of a Shakespeare connection as you guys do, so... Yeah, I, I was in Twelfth it. Night, um, oh. and then directed Much Ado. But yeah, I... Yeah, so I'm a little... I'm a little... little protective in Kenneth Branagh, that version... I mean, that version is... 
Because Michael Keaton plays Don Barry. It's amazing. And, like, Denzel Washington's in it. And, like, Keanu Reeves is his brother. Keanu. It's amazing. Oh, my God. And there's that scene where he's, like, he's doing one of his, like, evil soliloquies because he's, um... Wow. What a Shakespeare fan I am, and I'm forgetting his character's name. Claudio. Um, Don... No, no, Claudio is Robert Sean Leonard. Um, he's oh, yeah. Don... Don John and... Yeah. Anyway, yeah. he's the bad guy. And, like, he's getting, like, that shirtless massage, and he's just, like doing a soliloquy while he's laying down getting a massage, and I'm like, oh, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> hilarious. Anyways, um, back to so, directing yes, style. Back to directing style. I think he has a very interesting directing style in that it's very stylistic. He really knows how to, where to place the camera in very interesting angles. I think one of the most interesting angles from all of his movies is the reflection of the, like, the car re- rearview mirror side view mirror in the Avengers where the car flips upside down but you see the action behind it in the rear in the side view mirror and I think that, that was such a oh a shot I was never expecting to see in in my whole life in a superhero movie was was like a camera placed on the side of a van like angled at the rear view mirror and then just flip it and and like that's what you see I think that he he has a very interesting touch when it comes to placement of the characters and placement of, of uh, placement of the camera and placement of characters. Um, and I think he, he really loves his, his tracking shots, um, especially in like one of the first shots you see of, of the, of the serenity in serenity is a tracking shot up and down the ship. I think that's one of the most incredible introductions to a movie about a spaceship that you can do where, cause it's just like you follow, if you just follow these characters, mostly Mal through the ship, Talking to different characters, reintroducing you to care, you know, because you this it had been a couple of years since the, the show was on, and then you've got the famous tracking shot in the Avengers where it's them, like, uh, he, you know, the camera follows one character and then it moves on to another character, and that's where you get Captain America and Tony Stark with Tony blasting the shield and Captain America taking all the Chitauri aliens out, and he does he kind of repeats that in is in not as well in. Age of Ultron, I feel like he starts off right off the bat with that, and I think it's a little bit too CGI heavy for it to look real. But I feel like for some reason in the Avengers, in which that entire thing is fake, it looks more realized. I don't know why, but maybe it's because we've been invested in these characters for ninety minutes, and this is where everything is coming to fruition. Whereas with Age of Ultron, he tries he tries to pick up right where that movie left off with a tracking shot of the the whole thing, and it just looks too overdone. What do you guys think about his like the way the flu? fluidity of his cameras see i've never actually been very blown away by whedon's directing style or much or noticed it much i think like his directing style really services um his writing style basically like it's all about the characters and close-ups on those and i think that it flows in that way but i've never really thought of him as much of a like very distinctive director the only Actually, the only, like, only in times um, during Buffy or, like, ep- specific episodes in Firefly, um, I don't know if Out of Gas was directed by Whedon, but I really love the direction in that. Like, I love the sort of, we do a lot of hard cuts in in Buffy, and, like, I think that's a lot of Whedon. He likes to do that kind of ironic hard cut. And I like, yeah. I think that it made, they made really good use of that in Out of Gas, um, the episode in Firefly. Um, going back and forth between like the past and present, it was basically an episode that was kind of a bottle episode from Mal, in which he was trying to save the ship, but like 
he was kind of he was alone and like dying from like some sort of gas leakage but he was flashing back and forth to um when he met all of the crew members and it's such a good episode it's one of it's one of like the see like i was actually never like a huge firefly fan but that was the episode where i was like this is a good show so <laughs> i feel really like so funny i really like that episode yeah it's such a good episode. It's yeah. one of the best. And I like that. I like, also really love, what's the episode? I forget what it's called, but it's the one, uh, War or something. It's one where Mal and Wash get kidnapped. Mm. Yeah, um, and like one. Zoe, and like, yeah, I love that episode. And like, Zoe comes in. That's one of my favorite episodes. So I think the relationship between Mal and Wash is really interesting. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm coming similar to HT in that I don't really think about mm. his directing style very much. But this made me laugh because there's an episode <laughs> just, like, out of gas in the West Wing, where they literally use a character who's very, like, critically injured, and they use that to do flashbacks to how the characters met each other. So I find that very funny. It's, again, like, I think we were talking about this before we started recording the episode, but but Anya and I were just like, why? We, I really love Whedon, and she really loves Sorkin, and we're like, they're kind of similar directors, but we're just very anti the other one, and, like, but we're kind of... Just yeah. two sides of the same coin. Well, it's just weird can't really you can't, make that you, connection. You both you both praise the, the these showrunners and these writers for very similar things, but then it comes when it comes down to taste or in, or the other the other showrunner TV guy, you just you guys kind of yeah. don't mesh with that. But it's, I, yeah. I, it's, I, it's, it's interesting. I'm kind of in the middle of all this. Yeah, yeah. it's I, like I, a I very like, subtle difference too. So I can't really tell where it ends. I guess it's just like Whedon's a little bit more over the top and kind of gratuitous. I guess, but I think we yeah. Sorkin is gratuitous in his own way. But in a more, it's uh, we'll we'll talk I about Sorkin some I other day. I think it's just like I Sorkin for me. It's like I, like I like his humor better mm-hmm. than Whedon's sense of humor, and I just like his characterization better. Like it's I think like Willoughby's right. It's a taste thing. Yeah, it's I just don't like similar. how preachy Sorkin gets. And that's, like, yeah. my real big turnoff for me. Yeah, whereas, depending on what he's preaching, mm-hmm. I can like it a lot. But, yeah, but it's I find it funny because, like, yeah, there's this very similar episode in The West Wing that uses the same exact reasoning to do flashbacks. <laughs> um, also, Sorkin will be making his directorial debut soon. Oh. He's directing a movie that's coming up, so then we can kind of see how he is as a director. Mm-hmm. We should do, like, some sort of versus episode with, like, these two directors, because I feel like yeah. they do have similar things, and then Anya and I can just talk just talk out, like, what those similarities and differences are. It'll be, like, therapy, too. Yeah. yeah I'll get go, it all I'll, out there. I'll pop some popcorn and just sit. We'll <laughs> be the moderator. You can moderate yeah. us, Will. Our mediator. Well, mediator. So Both I, of them. You guys haven't really noticed his directing style a lot. I think maybe that comes from the fact that, like, maybe as me as, like, a guy who, like, like went to film school and film production and, like, have been, has, like, like I, I like, know how to, like, Spot see that, all the stuff that, that, um, that maybe other people haven't. Like, I just noticed when I saw the first, when I saw the first Avengers film, I, I was, I was immediately blown away by it the directing style that he had that he just came up with or uh, because it seemed like nothing from the the movies we had seen he, he it, the, like the camera angles all were very not i think it comes from the fact that he's not a director first and foremost mm-hmm. so his shots are not standard based and they're not like like uh they're not traditional they're not traditional exactly and i feel like he used that to he used his writing style like you said earlier ht to his advantage to to make his directing more fluid and i feel like every line of dialogue that in like when they're setting up the avengers in the movie is like 
there's like one throwaway line at the end of each scene and it connects to the next scene uh, about the next character. Um, and I think that that was a really, like that's one of the first times I was like, oh, this is, this is well-directed because you can tell that, you know, he put a lot of thought into how, where each scene is. And I, and I know that comes along with the fact that he wrote the, the script, but I feel like the fact that he was able to direct that in the same way, in the same that same fluid way, was very interesting and very unique to the Marvel universe. I want to give a shout out to two other Buffy episodes that are written directed by Joss Whedon and I just adore and I think are great um, examples of how he's actually, yeah, he is a good director in his own right. Um, Restless and The Body. Um, Restless is the dream episode at the end of season four, the finale for season four actually. And it takes place in the four character streams, Buffy, um, Xander, Willow, and Giles. And it's very fluid and very surreal. And I just, I love, like, that they kind of put a lot of just the imagery stock, like, in the front and do use it to do a lot of foreshadowing. And again, it's like a writing, a directing for writing, essentially. Um, yeah. One of my favorite shots, this is kind of like something I think about a lot, um, is when, in Buffy's dream, when she confronts Riley and Adam at the initiative, and Riley's sitting um, at a glass table with a gun on it, and then he, like, spins, and you can see him, like, the gun kind of, like, pointing from him, and it, like, it's, like, to indicate that he's a soldier, like, a soldier, and, like, you're seeing the camera shot from underneath the table. Mm -hmm. I just, I love that kind of shot. It's very, like, I think I could the way I could put his his uh, directing is like it's very comic booky and kind of graphic designy graphic yeah. graphic novelly yeah um, very stark imagery and that kind of thing um, the body is kind of the opposite actually because it's very much about the lack of um, am- ambient noise and like a soundtrack essentially it's all like very harrowing and just kind of about like Buffy's experience as. I don't want to spoil anything. She goes through a really tragic experience. Yeah. Um, like, there's one it's almost, long... Yeah. It's, it's, more emotion, it's much more emotional than mm-hmm. it is about the Im- imagery. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's one long shot at the beginning of the episode where she just walks through the house for, like, a good five minutes, and there's no there's no cut. And there's no music either. It's just following her walking through the house, trying to, like, in a daze. And it's just... It's so good. It's just, like... I don't know how I'd describe his directing style, because it does seem a little bit ramshackle to me. But I would say that he kind of fixates on one thing, and he can do it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that 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 goes along with the fact that he's only directed well. He's directed t- a lot of TV episodes, uh, a lot of you know premieres and finales and, and important episodes. But I think that his movie style directing has is still coming. It's mm-hmm. still it's still burgeoning. He's you know he's only directed four movies. Two of them were you know avengers movies and like his you know his his uh the serenity and much ado about nothing are much more you know they're not franchises Mm -hmm. um and so he he probably had more control over that um and so i think that i'm i'm excited to see more of him directing because i think that he's got a very unique style Hmm. cool all right um let's move on to the next topic will be um, well, we kind of already talked about characters a little bit, but do you guys mm-hmm. want to talk about characters more, or do you want to I move think on? We should I talk about like themes and stuff. Let's do themes. themes. And yeah. I, I kind of wanted to talk. I wanted to ask you guys, like, what do you guys think of the stereotype that he's sort of that fans have sort of put on him for being uh, known to like kill off characters? <laughs> like, I think I think it's I think 
it's one of those things where context is everything. Yeah. Um, like, I think, spoiler alert for a lot of these things, is, like, character death. Yeah. But, um, like, I think the Coulson death in the, in the Avengers is really cheap. And I think thematically very weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I think that was just kind of, like, I did not like that at all. I don't think it holds any water. But so then do you I think, think other like, the characters were headed that like, the team was headed in that direction of, like, teaming up eventually, even without Coulson's death? Without yeah. Numbers. You don't yeah, think they need that motivation? Absolutely not. No, I don't think, and I think it, it just even by felt the fact cheap. It, even that, by the fact that it was revealed that Nick Fury, you know, put the blood on the cards after the fact that they weren't actually in his pocket and that yeah, whole thing. I, yeah, it just, it seemed, it seemed so much like a, it seemed like Joss Whedon leading, leaning into his own stereotype. Mm. Like, he was like, I'm known for this, so I'm going to do it, and it's going to be shocking, and blah, blah, blah. Like, But I don't think, like, story-wise, it was necessary or made a lot of sense. So um, I, I think disagree with you there. Cheap, I think it was cheaply done. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you think of the fact that in Age of Ultron, he kind of flips that with, instead of Hawkeye dying, which a lot of people were assuming while the movie was while you watch the movie, because they show that he has family, he has, you know, relationships with people. Oh my god. And then it turns out By that way, he doesn't that die, terrible. and then it was Quicksilver who dies. So do you think that that was still bad? Um, I mean, I think that one was more boring and less cheap. <laughs> like, we hadn't got enough time to know uh, Quicksilver. I'm, I'm bothered by it, because I think... Aaron Taylor Johnson is the best cinematic Quicksilver we have, because I don't think Evan Peters' Quicksilver is good at all. Um, and I like Quicksilver as a character, so, like, I'm just bummed because I liked Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was kind of boring because, like, it just kind of... I don't know, you hadn't gotten attached to him, and then it happened, and you were just kind of like, okay, I don't know, it was just... Well, I'm, th- I'm thinking of it more as the twist of the fact that you could tell that they, that he was leaning into the fact that oh suddenly Hawkeye has a bunch of character development and a backstory and now he, he, and usually that means that a character is about to get killed off and where in fact he kind of he, he does like a twist and it's not Hawkeye it's it's Quicksilver who saves him or by dying. Why did anyone have to die at all? I think that's kind of my thing. Is also like why do you need to why do you need to kill someone like mm-hmm. like what to raise the stakes. I don't like that argument for killing people, honestly. Well, king, killing characters. Killing people. I'm not going to say killing people in general. <laughs> Wait, which argument? <laughs> um, the argument of raising the stakes just to, mm-hmm. it, like, killing a character means that, like, the stakes are higher, et cetera, I mean, et cetera. This, this building, this, like, city is, like, country is, like, floating above the earth. Like, is that not stakes enough? Exactly. Like, it's, and, like, I don't think there was no, I don't think there was, like, a motivating factor. Like, I, I don't, like, think that, like, his death motivated Scarlet Witch, like I feel like they had already kind of had their yeah, arc like the thing of being is, motivated. It, I think the the death took place at a bad at like the wrong time in the battle. It just took out it took place at the end of the battle and by that time they had already basically won. Yeah. And yeah, so well, it, it, just like yeah. Yeah. It really feels like like especially with those two movies, like he was just leaning into his own stereotypes and I being think like, that I gotta kill a character mm-hmm. and it's like do you? So let's so let's go back to when he wasn't leaning on character death as, or like he wasn't leaning into the skid of that. So when characters have died in his past TV shows, have, Wash is were, still the worst. Were yeah. they earned deaths, or do you think that they were all like a lot of these were just See, contrived think, to make the, the plot move forward? I think we didn't actually began with doing more earned character deaths, but 
because there was such a high body count in his shows, people kind of assumed that they were just done for shock value. But I think, mm-hmm. like, on the contrary, we didn't actually did it to motivate the story, motivate the characters, and they were actually more organic in terms of, like, the context of the story. Yeah, like like Anya was saying earlier. I think the first instance we see where it's just, like, gratuitous, just, like, a shock was Wash, because, like, yeah. it happened... I guess it didn't spoilers. have to happen. It didn't have to happen. It was they had. There was nothing that 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 motivated that death at all. Yeah, they were they were in the so, clear. Everything was fine, and then suddenly, like, leaf in the wind, and you know. I guess like someone could argue, like Whedon could argue that, like, well, yeah, like that's what you do when you're like in a situation like this. Like everything's fine, but like you can die at any moment. Like there is that argument, but I yeah. feel like in in a situation where you are creating something out of thin air and it's not like real life. And, like, you get to dictate what happens. I feel like that's also a weak argument of being, like, well, like, anything could happen in that situation. And it's, like, sure, but, like, you are the author and you can kind of control. Like, this is still a fictional thing. And I I can see it from the fact that he probably wasn't going to make any more Serenity or Firefly. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to put some periods to the ends of these characters' sentences. Leave an impact on his audiences. To yeah. Zoe and Wash? Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Them? I'm so like upset I, about that. Like, that's the thing, is that I think that it, like, that was his purpose, was to say that, you know, not everything comes to a happy ending, even when things, like, when, when things stop. And I think that we can definitely argue the merits of that and, and whether or not these deaths were earned in the context of the show or not, or the context of his writing. Cause I feel like that's a really prominent issue with his, like the criticisms that he get for just like, Oh, it's a Joss Whedon show. Someone's going to die at the end. See, I think it's actually much rarer in Whedon shows or movies than people make it out to be. Cause like Me Wash too. is a big example. Um, Quicksilver and age of Ultron is a big example. Coulson. I thought that was actually earned. So I will disagree with Anya on that. But like, uh, for example, oh man, I had a point, but I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Um, I'm going to bring out a, an obs- a obscure one. Uh, the death at the end of that was earned and added an extra layer of tragedy to this sort of comical character that we had seen at the beginning. And I think that really helped the show and like the story in general. It added like another layer I'm so I mean, conflicted on that one. See, like, I like tragic endings, so that well, might be my thing. Maybe this is why Whedon does so well for me. I was going to say it's fridging. To me, it's fridging. But at the same like, time, it's, it's also li- motivation for him to actually become the villain he's always wanted to be. No, I know, exactly. It's which is, like, that's where I'm conflicted time. on it. It's fridging, but at the same time, she had a complete story and character arc. So I wouldn't agree that she was just, like, stuffed in a fridge, for example. I think that, like... But I feel like her death wasn't it was it was literally only done for dr horrible there was no other reason well i think she was story. i think it was also the fact that she was like involved with dr hammer and she was like i don't know i captain think that like hammer. contextually yeah, i kept hammer. Sorry. Captain captain hammer. hammer oh wow sorry anya <laughs> listen i was in i was in a high school production dr horrible and i played one of captain hammer fangirls oh that's adorable wait you i remember you told me about this you had the bag yeah, of hair it was really cute because our captain hammer got his hair cut and brought me a bag of it so for the line i have his hair like this is his hair i actually can pull out his hair a bag of his hair mm-hmm. um so yeah captain hammer's my boy i was his fangirl so yeah so like mm-hmm. It might, I, I think, like, it does have, like, elements of fridging, but I don't think that Dr. Horrible would have the impact that it did if not for 
Penny's death at the end. And there has to be some sort of sacrifice or tragedy at the end for it to become more elevated than just like a comedy web series. And mm-hmm. I think that's like what Whedon does in general. He did that, that very like, well with Buffy and Angel mm-hmm. at the end of season two. Yeah. Where like, it, it, sorry, go continue. Where, well, just just the fact that you know there was only there's there was really only one way out of that that storyline at the end, and it was to spoiler alert kill Angel. And I feel like that was a great a, a great character moment for Buffy to oh. have to make that choice and to send him to hell or wherever he was going, you know, just to kill him because that was a moment where, you know, that, you know, the, the love of her life was right, was back. In fact, I still cry whenever close your eyes starts playing It's still an emotional moment. And I think that that, you know, for all the shit that Whedon gets for killing characters, I think that sometimes character, character deaths in his shows, albeit as at, they might not last because the characters might come back, but at the time, they're very emotional. And I think that that's, you know, at the end of the day, he's telling a story, and that story has to have punch to it. And I think that, like, at the end of Buffy season two, I think that was a great punch to that. Mm -hmm. And I just want to compare Whedon's deaths to a TV show like Walking Dead, for example, which makes its living off of killing characters just for shock. There's also that other one. HBO. Oh, yeah, that show we don't mention. Oh, God, that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Walking Dead. Yeah, Walking Dead or Game of Thrones. Uh, those are prime examples of killing characters but that don't do it in, in service to the show. It's just done to get tweets or to get reactions at the end of the episode. And not so much yeah. about the impact that that character has, but just like what five minutes of fame that twist will have and i think that that though those show those shows come at a time kind of in their own vicious cycle of the fact that there are now more character deaths in tv that they have to now amp up the stakes of those deaths to get more ratings and more hits in social media tracking so suddenly you know i didn't watch last season of game of thrones but i just remember after every episode, being like, oh, gosh, another, that character died, oh, oh, whoa. Like, I just saw a tweet, and the same thing with Walking Dead. Like, I don't, I haven't seen The Walking Dead for three seasons, and that's, every Sunday night, that's all my Twitter is, is just reactions to a death. And I think that that is not good storytelling. Mm-mm. I agree. Um, so let's wrap things up. Anything else about Jaspian's, like, thematic, um themes I like like, like that he has stories about heroes and trying to do good I think that that you know we we didn't really talk about a lot of other themes but I feel like that's a big one is doing good in the world and I think that he does a good job of of making that not not just he makes it not boring Mm -hmm. he makes it a very complicated issue and he makes characters have to make tough choices to be a hero and to, to do good in the world that you know they may not like the choices they have to make. For example, Buffy killing Angel at the end of season two. Um, and I think that that is a great theme throughout his his filmography. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? Do you guys have um, a, a particular theme you really enjoy? So I touched on like the horror subversions um, like with Buffy and for, with Cabin in the Woods, and I also do really agree about the hero thing. I also like that it's not about the lone hero. Um, you know, he always does in ensembles and groups. It's about the community. And I like yeah. that 
Buffy also subverts that lone hero thing with the end, um, with its season seven ending, and it's about sharing the power, power rather than like one person, like the chosen one, holding all that burden on her shoulders. So I just I really like that. It's like about sort of like the sharing of the power and how everyone can be heroes. So I really love. Whedon. I actually really love. I clearly love that also HT because yeah. I cannot stand lone hero tropes. They mm-hmm. drive me up a wall. Um, I don't think I have much to add about the thematic stuff. I've gotten into it so much, I don't need to be more negative. But fun fact, one of my biggest crushes as a child was Oz in Buffy. So oh. there's you met fun Seth fact. Green recently. I've met Seth Green, yes. How did you react? Also, I mean, I've also met Joss. I just met Joss this summer, so. <laughs> oh, wait, yes, that's right. I told you guys that at Comic-Con. When you went to Comic-Con. I need to go yeah, to I Comic-Con Joss. next year. Yeah, we got to go to CW party where then apparently he crashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just fun fact, I really love Oz, so. Awesome. So, <laughs> I love Oz, Great discussion too. on yeah, Josh Whedon. Yeah, I think that was a good discussion on Whedon, um, his flaw- faults and flaws. Well, that's not a good thing to say, because, like, those are the same things. <laughs> his, his flaws the, and his... The good and the bad. The good and the bad. Yes, the yes. good and the bad. <laughs> Anya, you're rubbing off on me. His faults and flaws. No. Oops. Good and bad. I love Whedon. all along. And Joss, we trust. All right. (laughs) Moving on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Um, Anya, why don't you start us off today? All right. This is a really like in a continuing saga of really likes. So in the continuing saga of Anya wants more rom-coms in Hollywood, please, um, I saw Sleeping with Other People this weekend with Alison Brie and Jason Sudeikis, and I loved it so much. Um, it was also written and directed by a woman. Ooh. So, um, I didn't mean to catch that movie. To Hollywood, more rom-coms, directed and written by women, please, because they're great. And wonderful, and I would like more of them. Also, Jason Sudeikis is great, and I think he has a really promising career ahead of him. Also, Adam Scott is the worst in this movie, and it's really weird. Is he worse than he is in the other guys? Um, I've never seen the other guys. I don't know. Not the other guys. I don't know why uh, Adam Scott always plays. Step Brothers. Uh, oh yeah, Step Brothers. He was terrible. Step Brothers. Yeah, I've never seen Step Brothers either, but he's terrible. No. I don't know why he always plays, like, sleazeball characters in movies, and then he was just Ben and was so wonderful in Parks and Rec. Well, it's so funny, because I just think of Adam Scott as Ben Wyatt. Like, Mm -hmm. that is Adam Scott to me. Uh And so, like, seeing him as, like, other characters and, like, who are not great, I'm like... uh, See, when I first started Parks and Rec, that was the reverse for me, because I saw him as all these other smarmy characters he's played in movies, and suddenly he's, like, the love interest and, you know, super nerd on Parks and Rec, and I'm like... This guy's he's not snarky enough. He's not evil enough. What's the hell? But, uh, of course, I come. I love Ben White. He's the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I just really like this movie. Willoughby, definitely check it out if you meant to. Um, it's really wonderful, and I just really want more rom-coms uh, because they just make me happy. Aww. I should check it out, too. I forgot that came out this... That's coming out this month. Wow. The Wait. Sleeping with Other People? Yeah. yeah. It's been out for a year. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. I th- we watched I thought it on I TV. Heard, okay, I thought I heard it like around on DVD for a while, so I was confused for a little bit. Okay, never mind then. Yes. Willby, 
What did you really like for this week? Sweet Christmas, Luke King. <gasps> Yay! I watched the entire season this weekend because it came out on Netflix on Friday. Even with Netflix going down, uh, it did not go down for me. It went down uh, for me. Yeah, I was, so been, I was I was playing it on the Roku version where I didn't have to deal with everyone using the web for that. So it was great. I love Luke Cage. I love Mike Coulter. He could you know read the the phone mm-hmm. book to me, and I would just be like. Just continue because, like, his voice is so smooth, and he's like just so like the whole like Misty Knight is great. Um, Claire Temple is back, and she's more prominent than ever, oh, and it's so great. Um, and I think that uh, it's a great story about a man who is trying to figure out who he is and who he is to his to his community, and it's got a, it's got a great um, it's got great themes, it's got great um, representation, it's got great. I think it has great portrayals of a lot of different women and not just, you know, because a lot of superhero genres, it's one woman has to, has to have the burden of all the representation of every woman ever. And this, this show gets to have multiple female characters of different races, different personalities. They all get to be complicated people. Um, I, th- I thought it was just a great show and I thought that um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of, you know, the music was great. Uh, the soundtrack and the score because the score is kind of seventies black exploitation and the, the the music they have is all up and down the genres of, and it's great. Awesome. I agree. I can't wait to start watching it. I already watched all of it too. I really enjoyed it actually. Yeah, uh, I like like Luke Cage as a character. I think I like mm. him better than both Jessica Jones and Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock, my baby. I think I like Luke Cage better than him. Whoa. So I think he's a more He's he's much more uh, like sure of himself. He I has think. better motivations too than that. <laughs> but also, like I really saw in Luke Cage the kind of like Ronin story that you see in, for example, Roroni Kenshin. Like his entire backstory is basically Roroni Kenshin, and I got so giddy watching that I was just like, I love this so much. He's like that outsider in a samurai movie or a western, and he's coming back from a tragic past. That really oh made me happy. I can't wait. To yeah, watch I saw your it. tweet. I was like, "Oh, that kind of puts a lot of things into perspective for me." Thinking of it as a Ronan uh, story. Mm-hmm. Even his like. I yeah, I haven't started watching it yet. I'm very excited now. Yes, so. and the guy uh, I can't remember his name, but he plays Remy Danton in House of Cards. He's like Mahershala the main villain Ali. for for the show. He's so good. Mm-hmm. He really gets to shine in this. He doesn't get to play cool, calm, and collected like he does on oh. House of Cards and in Hunger Games. He was yeah. pretty cool and calm he's, in that. He's so active and just, like, physical in this movie. I really like yeah. it. I like him better than the other villain, honestly. Yeah. We won't discuss it because that's yeah. spoilers, but yeah. Oh, dear. All I saw, I saw, I read an article briefly and it compared the one of the villains, I guess there are two in Luke, in Luke Cage. There's a couple, but yeah. It compared one of the villains to Wilson Fisk, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> your baby. Oh, no. <laughs> Wilson Fisk, my baby. That's, That's so weird. That's such a weird statement. I, <laughs> I know. Oh god, Wilson I love Fisk, Wilson my Fisk baby. so much. <laughs> oh jeez, why? Oh, I can't wait for him to come back. Why isn't he back yet? Yeah, there's like the only problem with okay, like Cage is that there are like some weird plotting issues, but I think overall, like the show is really great. Yeah, um, I think all Marvel Netflix has a weird issue with plotting, but. A lot of Netflix shows do. Yeah. yeah. That 13 episode. Mm-mm. Not good for a lot of people. Yeah. But I really like Luke Cage this week. 
HD. Yay. What about you? Yay! Okay, so I actually had two really likes, but one of them was Luke Cage. So my yeah. uh, my first really like, I guess you guys aren't surprised, but Utada Akaru's album dropped this week. It dropped on the 28th at I'm midnight. I'm so excited for Oh my you. god. I, I've listened to the entire album, I think like at least five times now. The entire thing over and over again. I really love it. Um, it's probably her most personal and raw album at, to date. And it's definitely like, it's really different. And I really like it. It's it's gorgeous. It's sad. It makes you want to dance. But it also makes you want to dance sadly. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like it is about like... Um, her like coming to terms with her mother's death. Uh, I said this. I mentioned this earlier. Um, her mother passed away from suicide three years ago, and like this song was written like during her grieving process, and you can kind of see like the process of like denial, um, acceptance. Like, oh, I skipped all the steps, but like denial, anger, rejection, and acceptance, and you can kind of see that throughout her entire like song album track. And I just like I think it's really great, and she like delves into. She does some like, some really interesting musical things. Like, she, that one track is like weirdly eighties techno, and another one is like kind of really dark um, classic hip hop. And I'm just like, oh my god, Tade Kari, what are you That's doing? Awesome. I love it. I'm just like, yeah, I'm so glad you like it so much. I really like it. I just, I'm really happy that this album is out and that she's back after eight years. Um, well, six That's years. Awesome. Eight years after her last album. That's so awesome. And, She's doing so great. And she peaked at number six on the U.S. iTunes albums chart, which was nice. so exciting. Did you contribute to that? I did contribute to that. I bought it as soon as I saw it, that it was up. Good. It's nice. only 10 bucks, so. When I'm in Japan, I'm going to Japan in November, I might see if there are any, like, physical albums, because there's, like, a little booklet with her, like, with her pictures. And she looks so good. I just want to take a picture. Like, <laughs> Is it not selling a CD in America? Or No, you have to order them, like, um get them imported and like it's a little bit more expensive but it'll be easier when i'm there to just buy it there yeah i'm so excited and happy welcome back your music is beautiful and and you're beautiful and i love you (laughs) all right guys so that's our episode for the day if you guys have any thoughts on joss whedon or luke cage or utada hikaru's new album or another new album that you guys really like and want to recommend or of course rom-coms definitely come chat us up and where can they do that willoughby you can find us on facebook if you search for us there we're on twitter at falcon podcast we have a blog millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com and we're also on itunes and google play and soundcloud and all those platforms where you can rate review and subscribe to us there and where can they find you guys you can find me at htrenbui on twitter you can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thank you for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.